Uh, when I was younger, we moved around a fair bit. Uh, for those of you who didn't know me, my, my dad is a, or was an army chaplain, and so we moved quite a bit. And one of the moves that we had took us to Wodonga, where there was an army cinema. And the cinema was pretty much like any other normal movie theatre. It held about 400 people, seats were pretty much the same, sound was pretty much the same, screen was pretty much the same. Uh, the big difference was, was that the movies came out about a month after they would in the normal cinemas, and there were two movies shown for a weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and it was five bucks to get in. So it was five dollars to get in, which is a big difference uh, to other movie theatres, and the popcorn and lollies and drinks and stuff were a heap cheaper as well. So pretty much, you would go every weekend. There's no reason not to. For five bucks, you see two movies. Good way to go. Uh, it also meant, uh, which was good, was that if the first one was pretty average, you could make up your mind uh, whether you wanted to kind of leave and just wait in the foyer or something until it finished and just see the second one, or if the second one was average, just to get up and leave, because you only paid five bucks. So if the first one was good, then that was good enough. So it kind of made it a lot easier. Now, one of these times that we went, uh, we were seeing two movies, and Rent was the first movie that was up. Uh, it was kind of turned into a movie from the stage play. Um, in my opinion, you might love it. In my opinion, it didn't transition well. I'm not sure if, if it was a good stage play, but it's not a particularly good movie. It's very slow, very boring. Uh, so we're watching Rent, and we're seeing all the signs, the classic signs of the movie ending, which was awesome for us, because it was pretty average. So we're seeing all the signs, the music's kind of, kind of petering out, the camera work is zooming out, uh, kind of all the stories have closure, the sun's setting, everything is saying, this is ending, um, which felt a bit weird, because we hadn't been there that long. And I pulled out my phone and had a look, and we were in 30 minutes. So we had another hour and a bit to go of this movie that had kind of started and slowed down to almost a standstill, and then eventually actually did the same thing over and over again for the next hour. It would kind of start and then slow down. Uh, we saw the signs, did not interpret them correctly. Uh, we thought, fantastic. However, knowing that we had a, a bit longer to go, it meant that we kind of settled in for the long haul. We kind of prepared ourselves mentally for what we were about to endure as we sat through the rest of the movie. Uh, knowing the signs and interpreting them well and correctly is really important. Uh, it lets us know uh, not just kind of what's happening, but how we should act. What should we actually do? This morning, we're going to be looking at the sign of the times. Uh, what are the prophecies that have been fulfilled and yet to be fulfilled? And then what does that actually mean for us? Uh, now, here's the thing. I want, to be, I want us to be on the same page here. I have 25 minutes to go through possibly one of the most complex and full topics in Christian history. We've got 25 minutes. Uh, there's heaps of passages that speak to prophecy. There's heaps of prophecies. There's a stack of passages uh, that speak to this. And even some of the passages, uh, if, even if we spent the whole 25 minutes just on that one passage, I would not be able to do justice to that passage. We would not walk away from here today going, oh, I know that passage inside and out now. It's it is a big, big thing. So instead, rather than kind of trying to focus in on, on one of them or uh, spending our time kind of going through all of them, uh, we're going to be doing a little, something a little bit different. And I will say uh, this. If, if you want to get into looking at all the different views, then there's a book uh, which is the four views on the book of Revelation. Uh, it's a part of a series, so it's up on screen. If you're really interested in it, uh, I recommend you, you have a read of that. 
we're not going to be going into all of that. I think Luke might have touched on that last week, potentially a little bit. But if that's kind of where your head's at, I, um, I recommend going to that book. But in, instead today, I'm making work for the guy on the, on the PowerPoint. So instead today, we're, we're going to take more of a survey approach. Uh, we're going to look at what the whole Bible says, uh, which sounds crazy to try to squeeze the whole Bible into 25 minutes instead of just one passage, but it is a lot simpler, trust me. How does the Bible present the signs of the end of days, the last days? Through the Old Testament, what does the Old Testament say about it? What are the Old Testament prophecies? What does Jesus say about the end times? Kind of, how does he take it? And then what do the New Testament writers say about it as well? It kind of helps us see a progression and, and a little bit uh, helps us understand where we're going. And ultimately, the Old Testament, uh, the books that are in the first half of the Bible, the ones that are before Jesus, that, that lead up to Jesus... They talk about the end times generally as something full of hope and promise. Uh, the, the people uh, were in strife. These are promises made to people who are in exile, who have been in their country, have seen this promise come true when they've entered Israel, they've lived there for a bit, but are in exile. They've been taken into captivity. And these promises are coming to them. God is telling them that he's doing something. God is saying to them that, that he's doing something great that will bring them back to, to better than what it was before a better relationship with God, a better place, a whole new kingdom. The people had dropped the ball and, and they were in exile and they knew that, but God is still active. God is still doing stuff. You know, there's quite a few passages that talk about uh, this. Uh, I'm not, not going to go through them all because there's heaps. Isaiah 9, 6 to 7, that's the front to us. The child is born, a son is given, and it goes through. The government will be on his shoulders. Isaiah 32, 1 to 8, Jeremiah 23, 5 to 6, Micah 5, 2 to 4. And there's heaps more. Now we're going to look not at them, but we're going to look at Daniel because they're kind of all the same. Kind of they talk about hope, there's expectation, there's promise, but they're they're kind of I am doing something, and, and that's kind of where it ends. It doesn't get specific. Daniel is a, a lot more specific. Uh, see, Daniel chapter two is a famous chapter. Uh, Daniel interprets a dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had. Uh, this king has a dream of a statue with a head of gold, uh, a body of silver, thighs of bronze, feet of iron, and iron mixed with clay. And Daniel lays it out. He interprets this dream and says that the different body parts are different kingdoms. Babylon is the gold head, and then the, the kingdom of the Medes and Persians is the, the silver body, then Greece will come, the bronze thighs, and then Rome. Rome is the final one, the iron feet and iron and clay toes. He kind of lays that all out. And then this rock is going to come, and this rock is going to be someone who's going to start the, the kingdom of God. It shatters the whole statue. That's the dream, and Daniel lets them know. The problem is, is that people take that dream and make images like this, which I think only the first few rows will actually be able to read. But either way, what they do is, if you can't read it, the bottom feet, they make about Europe. So they, they try to make it about Europe, because if they make it about Europe, then of course the rock is coming soon. The end times are coming soon. Unfortunately, that's not really kind of how we should take Daniel. And the reason is because Daniel actually tells us what it means. Uh, there's no kind of freedom to make stuff up because Daniel says, no, no, the feet, and iron is, is, uh, the feet of iron and clay is Rome. And we know that Jesus came while Rome was in power. So we, we, kind, of, we kind of divorce the prophecy from Daniel by doing this. So who is this rock? Uh, it is not Dwayne Johnson, but... You type in rock and you get him. So uh, this rock, 
is explained a bit later in Daniel because Daniel has this, this dream, or Nebuchadnezzar has this dream of the, the statue, kind of what he's interested in, gold, silver, bronze and iron. That's kind of a, his kind of perception. And then Daniel has a dream later on. Um, it's kind of around the same time, but it's of four beasts and they represent the same thing. The four beasts are different kingdoms. And then in Daniel 7, 13 to 14, he says this. So he's gone through all the beasts and then whoever the rock would be, he says this. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom that will never be destroyed. He's like uh, one like the Son of Man, coming on the clouds of heaven. He's going to have authority and we know he's going to come uh, during the reign of Rome. A weakened Rome, iron with clay is a weak material, a weakened Rome, but Rome nonetheless. Here's the thing. Because the Old Testament doesn't exactly spell it out, people do take it differently. People take it funny ways. Ambiguity uh, can lead to all sorts of questions and rumours and, and uh, suspicions. And really before Jesus came, there were a few people that popped up who could have been this guy. They popped up during the Roman reign and kind of fought against the Romans, and so there was this, this fervor. Maybe this is the person who's going to do it. Maybe this is the guy who's going to save us completely, and then they'd eventually get beaten by Rome and, and killed, and, and that would be it, and they'd all peter out. And so it's kind of like, think like this, like Iron Man. In the first movie, he has this battle, and there's all these questions that come around, because... You know, there's news around and people think they see Tony Stark in an Iron Man suit but can't quite figure it out. So there's this, this kind of press conference that he calls and he talks about all these rumours and ambiguities and, and things like that that are going on and then throws away his cards and flat out says that he is Iron Man. Pivotal moment in the, the end of the film, like they all go crazy but they know Tony Stark is Iron Man. And ultimately if we want to know what the Old Testament means in pretty much anything, uh, what the Old Testament saying, what the Old Testament is pointing to, we need to see what Jesus says about it. Uh, because at the end of the day, Jesus says, it's now, it centres on me, and I'm the fulfilment of it all. That's what Jesus says. Uh, all of these things in the, the Old Testament, all of these prophecies about the one who's come, it's me. It, it is me right now. He says it in Mark 1.15. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And there's Matt 12, 28. But if it's by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, the, the kingdom of God, we don't really associate with it, but uh, the people he's talking to here, kingdom of God and, and here end times, these are all the promises that God has made that in the end times, I'm going to make my kingdom. The kingdom of God will reign. And then Mark 9, 1 and he said to them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. The kingdom of God has come upon you. Now it is here. The end times are now. I am bringing it, Jesus says. And for those who paid attention and saw it, uh, it was a big deal. And even John, with, with all of this on, John who baptized Jesus, he's in prison and and he's got these questions because uh, he's kind of in prison and he doesn't think he should be. But this is kind of Matthew 11, 2 to 6, kind of talks about this situation. 
When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he went, sent to his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? He's in prison, so pretty rough. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. John's question is fair enough. Uh, John understood the Old Testament pretty well. He knew kind of that he was preparing the way for the coming Messiah. He knew God's kingdom would be coming in. And he's going, I'm in, I'm in prison. I've been a faithful servant of God for my whole life and I'm in prison. What is going on? Now, Jesus doesn't tell him off. He encourages him, but he points to himself. Jesus says, look at what I'm doing, John. And he kind of brings up things that Isaiah 35, 5-6 say is going to happen. Isaiah 35, 5-6 say that the blind are going to see, the lame are going to walk, the deaf will hear. And Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm doing that, John. It's now, it's happening. It is coming right now. And then we have uh, more, Mark 14, 61-62. Now we remember from Daniel that the phrase, one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven, all authority is his. That's the, the Daniel prophecy, that that one is the one who's coming. That's when the kingdom of God, the end times are starting, the kingdom of God's going to grow. It's all happening now. And Jesus is before the Sanhedrin, and they're asking him all these questions. And then they ask him, uh, are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus doesn't beat around the bushes straight up. I am, which would have made them pretty angry anyway. And then he says, and you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. That is a very, very clear statement from Jesus. Uh, I'm the one who's bringing this in. The kingdom is coming now. It is happening all now. Jesus tells us that those prophecies in the Old Testament about the end times, they're fulfilled in him. It's happening now. It's, it's coming, guys. Don't keep waiting. Don't hold out for somebody else. I'm it. It's all about Jesus. It's his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his second coming are all bundled into one. We kind of separate them out, but in Jesus' mind, it's from his birth to his second coming, it's all part of the end times, beginning and ending. The end times have started. So we, we take that, we know that, and the New Testament writers pick up that theme, and, and they shift a little bit. Uh, where the Old Testament was promise and hope, the New Testament writers see, well, it's been fulfilled. All of that hope and all of that promise is in Jesus, so what do we do from that? Peter says in Acts 2, 14 to 41, uh, he quotes the prophet Joel. It's, a, it's his speech before the crowd after Pentecost, which has just kind of happened. Joel is, Joel's prophecy is that the Spirit of God will be poured out on all people. It's just happened. And Peter is pointing to that and going, hey guys, Jesus is the one you've been waiting for. You guys crucified him, but he rose again and look at what he is doing. But he doesn't stop there. He actually says, change the way you think. This is who Jesus is. Repent. Change the way you think. Turn your backs on your old way of life and follow him. Obey him. Peter says it happened, so listen to Jesus. And then through the rest of the New Testament, we, we kind of see that progression. We see the encouragement to continue. And we need to remember that uh, the letters in the New Testament are written to people who would be Christians. They're not written to people outside the church. So they address things that Christians are kind of facing and things generally that Christians are facing at that time. And Peter kind of talks about it again. He's obviously 
bit of an issue because Jesus said, I'm coming back soon and people are waiting for this and people are starting to mock Christians. Oh, you say Jesus is coming back. Well, where is he, guys? A lot of you have died. It's getting, getting a bit on. Is he coming back anytime soon? Just, you know, we're watching our clocks here and where is he? Peter says God's not slow. He's not just kind of ambling along. God's patient. Peter is encouraging uh, believers to continue on in their faith because God is patient, not slow. He's, he wants to give us time so that people can repent, people can turn from their ways. He wants people to follow Jesus. He wants to give people time for that. But he also wants people who follow Jesus to not be complacent. Uh, we see that in verses 10 and 14 of uh, 2 Peter 3. He says, keep going. It's, it's not happened. God's not slow. He is coming, but keep going. And then again in verse 17 to 18, make every effort. Make sure we stay true. Make sure. It's going to be tough. It's not easy. It's going to be tough. Paul takes this same kind of tack in 2 Thessalonians 2. Unfortunately, people read 2 Thessalonians 2 and make posters like this. Is that what Paul intended? Where Paul speaks about the man of lawlessness, he speaks to the Thessalonians so that they'll stay true to their faith. Because bad things are going to happen. And he says this in verse 15. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. The point is, Paul doesn't want the Thessalonians to try to figure out who this man of lawlessness is and, and look out for different world leaders and try to pinpoint them. That's not what Paul wants us to do. The idea is that we continue on doing good, continue on in our faith to hold fast to what we've been taught and keep doing the good deeds, keep saying good things, which leads us to Revelation. Now, some of you are going to freak out. Uh, only now are we getting to Revelation. Uh, we'll be here all day. I promise we won't. Uh, when we look at things, there, there's lots to look at. I mean, Revelation is very, very full. I know that Luke covered kind of some of the prophecies last week, not in Revelation, but some of them last week, and there's, again, so many more we could look at, so many really, really particular ones, and you can't really do that because they link in with everything else. We'd, we would be here all day. So instead, we're going to look at Revelation uh, 1 to 3. Oh, 1 3, not 1 to 3. That would be pretty long too. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, that is the book of Revelation, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. The book of Revelation is at the end of the day a letter written to seven churches that uh, has language that has double meanings, it's apocalyptic language, and it actually meant something for the people that it was written to. Revelation 1 to 3 is, is quite clearly letter form, it kind of talks about the churches, what they're going through and all the rest of it, essentially says some or all of these things. You're doing these things well. Keep going. Lift your game because you are sliding. Persevere. Bad stuff is going to happen, but God is in control. They're the three things that pretty much just repeat through Revelation. You can see it in the, the seven churches. Some are great and it's keep going strong. Some are kind of okay with some pretty average bits and it's really stop doing this because otherwise in the tough bits you're going to struggle hold on to your faith we see all this bad stuff happen from revelation 4 through to 20 it's a lot it's crazy crazy stuff there's lots of persecution it's 
hard stuff. The language is apocalyptic. It's double meanings would have made sense more to the original readers than to us. That's why we have to do so much work to figure it out. But it makes sense. If you are controlled by Rome, uh, imagine writing a letter where you're talking about how bad Rome is and that Rome will be eventually destroyed. Imagine sending a messenger with a letter in a Roman-controlled state where punishment's pretty severe, saying Rome is going to be destroyed and we follow another king. That would put you in a lot of danger. So Rome, different name for Rome, probably Babylon. Different names for different things. But it would have made sense to them as it does to us. But of course we have Revelation 21 and 22. It's not, not just all doom and gloom. In fact, Revelation 21 and 22, we see this, this kind of Jesus coming back in, in a different way than when we'd seen him when he was on earth the first time. It's Jesus on his war horse to conquer and judge and to bring all his followers and all his people to himself. Where Jesus returns and, and defeats death completely and defeats Satan completely and, and calls us to be with him in a place that is far superior to anything that we could ever dream of or imagine here on earth. At the end of the day, the message of Revelation isn't get hooked on the prophecies and try to figure them all out. The message of Revelation is trust God. Do the things that you know you should be doing. And at the end of it all, we're going to be with God in a place that is magnificent. We're going to be in a relationship with him purely and properly. We're going to know him face to face. We're going to have the best best knowledge of God we possibly ever could have. So what does that mean for us? What do we do from this? There's all this stuff around prophecies and what we should do and all the rest. So what does it actually mean for us? Well, we can spend our time trying to figure out the prophecies and align them all on calendars and figure out the exact dates. And you can try. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or or not, uh, you're going to struggle. Jesus tells us that the day and hour is unknown. You're never going to figure it out. We're never going to figure out the exact day that Jesus is coming back. He tells us it's, it's unknown. And the rest of the passages speak about it coming like a thief in the night. Generally, you don't know when thieves are coming. If you're a follower of Jesus, then Jesus doesn't want us to spend our time figuring out all the different prophecies and, and trying to nail down exactly when he's coming back. He wants us to take it seriously, but uh, I know Luke brought it up last week that uh, it's impossible to know the exact time. If you're here and, and you're not a follower of Jesus, don't, don't waste your time trying to figure out uh, when he's coming back. Know that he is. Listen to him. He's calling you to listen. Follow him. Maybe we go the other way, though. Maybe it's not uh, we focus in so much, but maybe we go the other way and just, who cares? It's all too hard. Uh, maybe we think, well, Jesus probably isn't coming back. Maybe we think uh, it's not the end time, so don't stress. Uh, I think the Bible's pretty clear that it is. I think we'd struggle to get that Jesus, one, isn't coming back. The Bible's pretty clear. And that it's not the end times. Again, I think the Bible's pretty clear. It is the end times. Jesus is coming back. And it should spur us into action. It should really make us go, well, we need to listen to what Jesus says. We need to turn from our our ways. We need to stop doing the things that aren't right. We need to obey Jesus, follow Jesus. Really important. We can take it uh, seriously. We can take all this stuff seriously because the Bible, at the end of the day, acts as our coach. It invites us to join. I had to find a coach that people would be probably not against in some way. 
It invites us to join the team. It calls us in. It trains us. It shows us how we should work. It guides us as, the, as what we should be doing. It shows us the plan. shows us how we should live our lives. It helps us see where we might struggle. And it tells us what the prize is at the end. The prize for persevering and winning. If we claim to follow Jesus and take him seriously, then we need to get on board with his game plan. It's laid out pretty clearly in the Bible. We need to tell people about Jesus. We need to persevere to learn and grow, to make disciples. If you're a follower of Jesus, then take this end time stuff seriously. We don't know when it's all going to happen. It could be tomorrow, it could be next year, it could be 50 years, it could be 100. We don't know when. It's going to come like a thief in the night. But if it is tomorrow, if it is tomorrow, who are the people in your life who won't enjoy that prize? Who are your close friends or family who won't get to experience the joys of heaven? We need to have haste. We need to work hard at telling people about who Jesus is, what he has done, what he has done in us. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, I really encourage you not to wait. A common thing I've heard friends of mine have said it is, I'll think about it more later, I'll worry about it kind of on my deathbed. Please listen to what the Bible says. It is a good coach. Jesus is coming back. We don't know when. It could be tomorrow. Jesus wants you to come to him. Don't put it off. The Bible is very, very clear. Don't put it off. Listen to him and follow him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you, God, that uh, you point us to Jesus, that uh, throughout your whole word, uh, we can see that Jesus is a central figure. Father God, we thank you for what Jesus has done, that uh, his death and his resurrection, his his birth, his life, uh, all of those things that, that brought in your kingdom, that started the end times, that invited us in to be with you in a way uh, that was unknown before. Father God, help us to take seriously the fact that, Jesus, you are coming back. Help us to tell one another about you. Father God, help us uh, here who, who do know you to be more active in sharing you. And Father God, if there is someone here who does not know who you are, I pray that you would work in them, that they may hear your words and know who you are and come to you and be in relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.